Welcome to Startupville, the show where we discuss what it's like to build a tech startup and a startup ecosystem in a small city. I'm your producer, Ariel Delorier. Our host is Dan Gold, and today we're bringing you with us live and on the scene at the 2022 Uniting the Prairies Conference right here in Saskatoon. Uniting the Prairies is a local conference that brings top startups from across the prairies together to connect with global investors and tech leaders to collectively elevate the prairie tech community. As part of Innovation Place's sponsorship of UP, Startupville was granted access to produce live interviews right in the Delta Besbro during day two of the conference. We brought the Startupville Thunderdome with us along with all of our equipment to bring you exclusive content from startup founders, mentors, investors, and other leaders in the tech ecosystem. We filmed so much content that we're releasing it to all of you over four very exciting episodes. So buckle up because we're launching off with three brand new guests to the show right now. Welcome to Startupville. Startupville is brought to you by Innovation Place and Martin Charlton Communications. First up, we've got Jordan Smith, CEO and founder of Rentry in Winnipeg, Manitoba. Rentry is a peer-to-peer app that makes it easy for people across Canada to list, discover, and rent everyday items and spaces wherever they are, directly from the user. Hello and welcome to what we're calling the Thunderdome here at the Up Conference 2022. I can't believe, firstly, that it's 2022 already. <laughs> um, Jordan Smith, tell me, with your best elevator pitch, about your organization. For sure. So first off, thanks for having me. Uh, What we do, we're a peer-to-peer item rental platform. So uh, similar to Airbnb, but you're able to rent out particular everyday items like kayaks, bikes, scooters. So that's our particular focus right now. So whereabouts are you based? Give us a bit of an elevator pitch. A little bit of an elevator pitch, sure. Uh, So currently right now, uh, we are born... Uh, out of the prairies in Winnipeg. Uh, we've been experimenting with uh, some particular merchants there currently right now, and just recently in the last two weeks expanded out to Toronto, um, where we're focusing on existing merchants out there as well too. Okay, so how did you notice this opportunity to get into this space? Yeah, for sure. So I guess, uh, long story short, my past life was at Skip the Dishes, which allowed me to travel quite a bit. And it was actually on one trip in Vancouver, uh, where I just really wanted to kayak and just the the opportunity to do so and the accessibility to do so just wasn't uh, my cup of tea, I guess. Uh, It was full of multiple touches or Google searches, phone calls, all that jazz. So realistically, just wanted to make something easier for myself to have the accessibility to these particular items and also other individuals too. Okay, so you're out there, you've come up with this idea. Did you go solo with a partner? What how, what was the build-out process like? Yeah, for sure. So from that idea, uh, ideation stage, I guess, at that point, really uh, just uh, wanted to link up with one of the particular partners that I had that was a friend. Uh, he is uh, focused on the development side of things, on the back end. I'm focused on more of the UX, UI, growth, and brand. And then from there, we more or less came together, created a, a creative rentry, I guess. And so here you are today in Saskatoon at the UP Conference. And this is the first gig that we've got as a sector going on here on the prairies this year for a for a number of years physically being face to face with people we all like zoom and teams and video conferencing and it's very powerful as a tool but for you what's it mean to you to be here physically in the same space as other people potentially investors and the such like yeah just the fact being physically here and just being around other founders investors mentors it's inspiring for one just to be able to have that arm's length reach now to pick their brains about particular things in the startup world or 
or how to go forward or whatever it might be compared to, like you said, a Zoom call, it's not the same human connection. You know, there's no ifs, ands, or buts about that. Um, yeah. So on this journey that you've been on, yeah. we all have those moments. And, and what we want to do is help people realize that even though success does come, it's hard work to get there. Can you name a moment in your journey where you've had a challenge which felt insurmountable, but you got through it? Yeah, for sure. So I guess like um, creating like a peer-to-peer item rental platform, um, the key is to bring on our users and make them feel as worry-free as possible. So a huge component of that for us is insurance. Um, So that being said, being a startup right out of the gate, it is hard to get those particular partnerships in the insurance, um, you know, field or sector or whatever you want to call it. That was a challenge for me. That was... You know, if you don't have that, you really don't exist. Um, but that being said, you know, with that kind of work ethic, you keep on going, you know, and, and things will happen and, and doors will happen. Uh, in our situation, it did. Uh, there was that one insurance partner that gave us a chance to kind of, you know, kind of proceed with this dream that we, we have. So yeah. it feels to me that that was actually a bit of a make or break, that if you couldn't get an insurance partner to do it, then the next bit and then trust that goes with it from a consumer point of view, from a user point of view would be a, an yeah. issue. When you're having those conversations with people who are outside the tech sector that don't really understand necessarily, um, you know, the sharing economy and everything that goes with that, how do you communicate to an organization, maybe a legacy insurer, Mm -hmm. that this is something that is good for them, it's good for you, and also it means that there's revenue opportunities? Yeah, no, that's a very good question. So I think it's more or less like painting the picture of like, you know what, um, we're going into a, a non-traditional world that, and it's kind of weird to say that, but you're seeing it in the banking world with Neo Financial coming out. Mm-hmm. You're seeing it with obviously platforms like us uh, with this everyday items really kind of promoting, um, yeah, just this whole new sector in that sense. So when it comes down to insurance, more or less, like we're happy with what our particular partner really gave us a chance and really wanted to proceed with innovation and really wanted to be a part of that. Uh, they saw that going forward. So didn't really answer your question there, man, but uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, beat around the bush there. Let's be real, but it's all good. Uh, <laughs> so we always want to give people the opportunity to make connections. That's one of the priorities of, of uh, Startup Village. So if people want to find out more about you and the organization, how could they do it? Yeah, so they could actually go on to rentry.com. Right now, we actually have an application on both the Google Play Store, Apple App Store. They could upload particular items if they'd like to do so, make a couple extra bucks in the meantime, uh, and doing so as well too. But currently on both app stores and rentry.com. Jordan, thank you so much for joining us here on Startup Hill. Thanks, man. Next, we have Amy Bronson, Director of Global Corporate and Government Innovation at Alchemist X in Calgary, Alberta. Alchemist X is the corporate division of Alchemist Accelerator, a venture-backed initiative focused on accelerating the development of early-stage ventures that monetize from enterprises. We are here once again in the Startupville Thunderdome. I know I've said it before, but I will say it again today here on the second day of the UP Conference, Uniting the Prairies 2022. It's incredibly interesting because one, we're inside a dome. It's like being under the dome, one of my favorite books. But number two, it's interesting because we're getting the opportunity to meet and talk to people from right across the prairies and from outside of the prairies and even Canada. So today, uh, and on this recording, this session, Amy Bronson, yeah, Amy Bronson, there we go, 
I like to have people's badges in front of me because I'm terrible with names. Um, you're from the Alchemist Accelerator and the Canadian or the Calgary-based Alchemist X. Tell me if I'm wrong on any of that. Okay, so what? Um, so you know, the interesting thing about the the world we've been in for the last few years is this ability to work remotely. We've yep. all we've all suffered and benefited from this kind of thing That's in this for sector. Sure. So, is Alchemist X really based anywhere? Is the question I would ask in response. Because yes, I'm in Calgary, but the team is really remote and distributed globally. So Germany, we cross a couple different provinces. Um, there's a few Canadians, and uh, but it, the Alchemist Accelerator is headquartered in San Francisco, uh, and then. Alchemist X is global with uh, our, we have a program that we do run in Alberta. Okay. So in that sense, uh, from the point of view of the organization and the world as it changed, what was it kind of, uh, from your knowledge, a coordination in the sense of the pandemic came, the opportunity for people to get to San Francisco internationally maybe would be an element of a little bit limited. The opportunity that we have in front of us is to go into a virtual model for these people who cannot necessarily get to uh, San Francisco. Was that the path that it took? I think that, yeah, that happened. And, and I didn't work at Alchemist when the pandemic hit. Mm. Uh, I, I joined about a year ago. And uh, so what happened was all of the programs had to go virtual and go online. And out of this emerged a really interesting, unique opportunity that made this a lot more accessible for people around the world. Because instead of needing to go all the way to San Francisco or uh, Silicon Valley for six months uh, to do a program and to be uh, to relocate and, and give up your life and everything like that, now you're able to access these virtual programs. So uh, some of the Alchemist X ethos, and maybe I should explain a little bit about that after, but the Alchemist X ethos is is how do you democratize that Silicon Valley access and, and make that something that you can reach elsewhere, uh, even here from Saskatoon. And actually, there's a, a great company from Saskatoon, still Saskatoon-based, that went through Alchemist Class 21 called Safety Tech. So they're a great example of, of um, success in the prairies and that uh, the, the great um, synergies that come from that, uh, that uh, accelerator. 100% totally agree. Safety Tech, truly great organization, and it's got a strong leadership and great people. Um, in terms of what your role is within the organization, just explain that to me. Great. So Alchemist Accelerator is a ten, about 10 years old. It's a venture-backed accelerator based in Silicon Valley, started by Ravi Balani, who, who is a um, Stanford lecturer and used to work in a big venture firm there. So he started that, seeing this need for a B2B or enterprise-facing uh, accelerator. So he uses the phrase, uh, startups that monetize from enterprises. Mm -hmm. And that's a, a, that's a niche, and the sales cycles are different. The mentorship you need is different. The investor knowledge you need is different. So Alchemist Venture Funds are all that by corporate LPs. So it's also a different kind of um, angle there. So that's, that's a niche. In the last several years, uh, Alchemist X was born. And Alchemist X provides uh, boutique services to provide programming for clients. Uh, it started with Next47 with Siemens uh, to run a corporate accelerator. And if you're not familiar with corporate accelerators, it's a really interesting landscape. A lot of large corporations, I don't see them commonly in Canada, but globally, this is really picked up. And it can be a really interesting opportunity if you find the right one for a founder. Uh, because you'll get into those large enterprise clients that are in your sector and they're interested in potentially piloting uh, piloting your products and learning what you might do together. And Alchemist X provides the programs for that. We also do deliver um, government-funded programs in partnerships around the world. So it's really interesting. I'm, you, know, you wouldn't sense it at all with an accent like mine, but we have an area called Silicon Roundabout and there's a lot of 
there's a lot of uh, not only government-backed programming, but there's also a lot of space where um, you have corporations really looking at these strategic partnerships with those people with ideas and trying to bring them closer. So really what you're saying and what your organization has done really is that that glue that can hold it together and accelerate and bring it forwards for both parties for the betterment of everybody. Yeah, that's right. And strategic partnerships uh, with, with startups and understanding the innovation landscape, understanding the ecosystem, that's really challenging for large enterprises. You know, they're in a position where they've made it uh, in, in what they know how to do best. And then going into that startup innovation world is, is extremely difficult for them to pivot. Uh, so it's really been exciting to be a part of a group that uh, provides that kind of that logistical structuring programming and can guide the corporate innovation uh, specialists in those companies through through how they can do an accelerator. We hear a lot about organizations going through accelerator programs and being a part of it and coming out the other side and hopefully in a growth strong position. Mm. But relatively, apart from the success stories that we've seen from from the different accelerators, at times, there's very little known about the the people who run the program of the accelerators themselves. And, and certainly, Alchemist is one of those that has a better known name, mm. you know, from the establishment of the organization that gives it strength from the beginning. When it comes to people, and look, you might, I, I'll put it as a neutral question. You can take it in any direction that you want. And I hope, hopefully, you'll go in the direction that I think you're going to go in. Um, but when it comes to an organization thinking, okay, I'm evaluating different accelerators. I'm looking at these opportunities. It might be a geographical shift to go over there. Or it might be virtual. It might be whatever the circumstance. And let's say outside of pandemic. When it comes to that decision process for people to go, I'm going to jump for this one or that one. What do you think the key factors are for being attracted to one over another? That's a great question. Uh, so I, I do want to say I'm not I haven't yet been uh, a tech founder. Um, I and so but I've developed I certainly have a lot of empathy for that kind of the position that folks are in. And, yeah. you know, the CEOs, the founders of these companies, especially early stage, especially folks who haven't done it before and aren't in that network, they're overwhelmed with the accelerator landscape. It is a totally wild and woolly world. And I've done a lot of I, I learned about it a lot over the last year or so. And um, I think that it, it's really important with all of the business decisions that a person is making to understand what you what you are doing and uh, what is gonna dilute your time away from the actual success of your business because you need to be focused on it, product, finding product market fit mm -hmm. <laughs> and getting customer discovery done and then getting you know all of that together. So that's your, your goal and things that are like, well, come and, you know, do a bunch of sessions on sales channels and it may not be for you. So you got to ask, I think you, you interview them back because the scouting for accelerator landscape is quite competitive. And I think that good, good startup founders are getting scouted a lot. It's competitive to get them in and um, they are having multiple accelerators come to them. And so even if you're not that, that, that founder yet, you know, you can go to multiple accelerators and interview them back. Like you don't sign up for a university without doing a little bit of research around what that program, what the career afterwards going to be and talk to other founders that are in there. I think um, it, for me, I've developed a strong, uh, a bit of a strong opinion on how powerful venture backed 
accelerators can be. And I think in contrast with a lot of what we see in the Canadian landscape, where um, it's actually very uncommon that you're going to see these for-profit venture-backed accelerators, um, I think there's a huge time and place for government-funded supports um, in the ecosystem. Obviously, we're we're here uh, celebrating a lot of that, and that really helps get the, everything going. But when you're looking at a for-profit venture-backed environment, I think that lights a fire in your belly. And I think that when they're going to win with you, um, you want to you want to win together. And aligning those incentive structures is is really helpful for founders to who really want to really want to knock it out of the park. And they're just how do I sell, sell, sell? How do I do this? Um, I think that economic growth is, and, and my background's all kind of in public sector and policy and politics prior to this, and I love a good economic growth goal, but that is a, a big, that is a hard thing to put on a founder's plate yeah. in addition to growing their business. <laughs> True. So I, I do say that there's, um, you know, think, think about the incentive structure behind the accelerator too, uh, if that's helpful. It entirely is because the motivation between a corporate environment and publicly funded environment, it's just a different way of thinking. It's, it's the way it is. Okay, for those who are really interested in what opportunities might be out there with a venture-backed system, where could we find out more information about your organization? So you can go to alchemistaccelerator.com and you can see more there. Follow us on social media, LinkedIn. Uh, we're quite active on LinkedIn. Uh, and then you'll also see the Alchemist X program. So if you aren't looking for venture-backed, we do run, uh, and you'll see these around, there's lots of great um, no equity, no fee programs uh, that are run by government-funded organizations. We have one in Alberta called the Community Safety and Wellness Accelerator. We're a partner delivering the programming at Edmonton. Just finished our first cohort there. I'm so proud to have seen how that's gone. Uh, so you can go to alchemistaccelerator.com and follow along there. You can reach out to anybody and they'll, they'll help uh, get you answers. Amy, thank you so much for joining us here on Startupville. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be at UP. Last but certainly not least, Dawson Norrish, founder of Cubby right here in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. Cubby, formerly known as Arctic Shelf, is an IoT refrigerated locker solution that allows people to store food in secure mini fridges at workplaces, schools, and more. We are back in the Startupville Thunderdome. We're here. I've said that on every single <laughs> one, but we're going with it. Um, Dawson Norrish, you've been on a very interesting journey. We've been trying to get you here on Startupville for, let's say, quite the while, but it's been worth it. We've got you here now. We are at happy the, to be here. We're at the <laughs> UP conference, and your journey—the first time I heard about it, um, Innovation Place—we're telling us. Uh, you've got to look up this guy yeah. and check it out. Collabs were obviously very excited about yeah. your journey with them. And there's been investment then. Then there was more investment. And now, name change, more investment. Mm -hmm. Okay, Cubby, elevator pitch, go. Yeah, so um, Cubby is helping VPs of HR bring people back to work and recruit and, and retain the best talent in the world um, in a tight job environment by creating a, a health and wellness amenity and using food services to um, that are 90% cheaper than uh, on-site kitchens. So, yeah, I've, I've been working, we're, we're in the pitch mode, so we're kind of going around, fine-tuning it, changing things around. But yeah, we're basically a food delivery platform for the workplace to help retain and attract the best employees. Okay, let's take this back because for me, it feels like it's a two-stage 
solution that you provided. The first was the on-site storage yep. and the discrete storage for individual people, which I'd like you to explain in just a second. And then when I heard about the food delivery side, mm-hmm. uh, that was the bit. The first bit was exciting. Yeah. The second bit was one of those... <sighs> that's genius moment so tell us about the storage first yeah well and it was funny like we actually came up with the idea at the university of saskatchewan so i was a student at the edward school of business i had come back from an internship and um realized that the university is the only workplace on the world that doesn't have fridges for students Mm. or for their users and we're like oh then we should make these mini fridges and so we did that i you know got the and got an initial money from friends and family put in some money built the product and we launched on February 24th of 2020, which was like the worst time ever to launch a business. Um, and then we, from there we pivoted to focus on the workplace. Um, once COVID hit, we were like, okay, you know, every workplace has a fridge, um, but no one's built the fridge for the office. And so they're all residential fridges. And that's, that's where we pivoted and, and really focused on storage. But what was so interesting about the product, as we've seen these initial customers buy it, adopt it, and use it, is the, the fridge is super undervalued and you have this relationship that no one really, everyone takes for granted that you, you, um, yeah, you have this piece of infrastructure that touches you every single day when you interact with food. And so we used that insight to launch our first lunch-focused food delivery platform. And we've validated that our cost per delivery on these meals is around 50 to 60 cents which is 90% cheaper than Skip the Dishes and it's enabled through our infrastructure where you can have one driver drop off a couple hundred meals in a single route in the beginning of a day and um, you don't have to meet the customers, you put it in the cubbies and they can grab it whenever it's most convenient. And what that means for the end user is a meal that is between seven to $10 with no delivery fee. So I think it's gonna be pretty radical in changing the way that people think about food and the way that they consume food on a daily basis. If we look back, I mean, eons. If we go back to looking at India, over in India, the tiffin box is incredibly popular. It's a prepped meal in multiple layers. Mm. Foods are kept separate and they're delivered to people's workplaces. Some people take them themselves, but there are tiffin box delivery people. Yeah, yeah. And sometimes it's the partner or it comes from a service and it's, it's delivered. When I look at what you're doing, it's one of those, why didn't someone do this right. sooner? Which is, <laughs> you know, often related to relates to the best ideas out there it's like of course this makes Mm -hmm. sense simple yeah exactly but what was the moment the bit where you got excited pivoting and the agility is obviously important what was the moment you got excited when pandemic hits oh no we're in this situation we've got this idea how early was the food delivery element in the plans Yeah, you know, when we actually launched the initial storage product at the university pre-COVID, it was actually Red Bull that gave us the idea. And and we were like, hey, Red Bull, like we're doing this launch for students, mini fridges on campus, it'll be Mm -hmm. super cool. Um, Can you give us some Red Bull? And they said, yeah, yeah. You know what, and actually we'll help you guys launch at every university across the country if you sell Red Bull through your app. And we're like, that's really interesting. So it actually was in the very beginning that, that, that it was kind of baked in and it was, a, it was a vendor thinking about how to use our infrastructure as a new way to um, approach new clients. And so that was, it was right in the beginning. Um, I, I found, and I feel like every entrepreneur goes through this, the actual act of pivoting is quite a bit harder than it might seem. Yeah. You have all of these stakeholders that you know believe in you. They don't have all the data points. You've, you've sold them a story that we're going in this direction. Yeah. And when it's your own money, you've got that ability to 
pivot and the agility to pivot without that accountability to third parties. But then when you're effectively saying, hi guys, this is a great idea, but actually we're going to change it. Mm -hmm. There's trust, the relationship building, clear communications and everything that goes with that. All those things. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that one of the biggest pieces of advice I'd give to anyone that who's thinking about pivoting or is getting data that is indicating they need to move in a different direction is is confidence and you have to believe in your own an analytical abilities at the end of the day the business die lives or dies on your ability to make the right decision and sticking to an idea that isn't profitable or that isn't going to grow as quickly or do the make the changes you want to see in the world that's on that's on you that's on you not being confident enough to move in a direction and being having enough conviction to move in a direction so i feel that um you know by doing your own research you know not just a fly-by-night, oh yeah, you know what, if this isn't working, we're gonna try something else, but saying, I've thought this is a good idea, here's the data points that I've received, here's what the models look like, here's what the ROI looks like in this new direction, here's the capital that we're gonna need, and, and being able to synthesize all of that data into a um, into a direction, I think is the, is, the, is the challenge, but once you go through that process, and you believe in the process, then it's pretty clear, and then it's just about being confident and taking the next move. So you've got this new investment, what does it mean to the organization? Yeah, I think I think um, I think what it means is actually that before you do, let's just explain what the investment is. Yeah, sure. So we um, we just closed a financing round, one point three five million, um, and so that's been broken up. A Connexus letter around, um, really really great Saskatchewan focus, but I think thesis focused investor that's focusing on building world changing companies, and and um, you know we're really happy to be partnered with them and working with them to bring this product to market. Um, but when I think about what this what this investment means to Cubby as a whole, is it gives us the backing and the support that we need to execute at a high level. So on that, when you look at those next stages and the planning process that you've got into and your strategic planning, you obviously early days, you set goals of where you want to get to at certain points with you know, people adopting the system, coming into it, proof of, proof of uh, you know, the model and everything from the beginning. How does an investment like this change that thought process in the terms of, okay, we can accelerate or we carry on at the pace we're going? Yeah, yeah. Because the temptation is throw everything at it. Yep. And I think that that is the challenge. And I, I, I think that that's why there's so much advice out there, but make make sure that venture capital is the direction that you want to go and that you have a business model that can sustain it because we um, w there's expectations. And so we need to grow and we need to grow at a high clip. And so I think that, you know, being comp being having some elements of product market fit is what you need before you take it um, because there is those expectations. So I, I think going back to the main question of how does it change the way that we approach growth? And I think it, it, it does increase, I wouldn't say the word stress, but I, I would say that it increased the stakes hmm. and it puts a timer on the amount of outcomes that you need to produce. And so, you know, that's, that's the environment that we want to be in. We, we are competitive. We love competing. We love, we love putting every ounce that we have into the business. And so I like it. I, you know, I, I know that, you know, and even connect, like there's no guarantees at yeah. all ever. And so, you know, we're just trying to move as fast as we can. And, and that's, um, that's the, the life that I want to, that's how I want to live my life. Okay. The one bit of the model that 
needs to be clarified for me. Obviously, you've got the distribution of the units. You've priced out the uh, delivery method itself. How do you work when it comes to geographical locations and the food sourcing? What is that side of the model? Is it you setting out there and going, hey, we're going to set up regional kitchens? Is it finding partners? What's that part of the model? Yeah, I, I think it's going to be clearly a city by city expansion playbook. And so right now we're just focused on Saskatoon. The nice thing about having a storage component is that we can sell into new markets without needing to support it with an ecosystem. Mm. And so we can just close TransCanada in Calgary and some and some other big deals there, but um, that and that's via storage. But right now we're just focused on the network effects that are present in the Saskatoon market. And so the ability to distribute fridges, bring on multiple vendors, but be able to sustain those multiple vendors with more fridges and, and kind of kickstart those network effects. That's what we're focused on. And... Um, yeah, I, I think that that kind of answers the question. <laughs> 100%. Yeah. Dawson, for people who want to find out more information about you yep. and Cubby, where could they go? Yeah, I think the best place to find uh, more information about myself and um, you know, ask me questions is maybe new entrepreneurs starting out. Um, LinkedIn is the best place. You can just find me, Dawson Norrish. Um, and then for Cubby... Hopefully our marketing team does a good job making it easy, <laughs> but um, but just go to www.cub.bi. That's our website. It's a it's a little bit of a two pager lander right now, so we're updating that. But it's going to be exciting, and I think that we've got some really exciting things coming down the pipe, and and we're happy and, and excited to change the way that people think about food at work. Okay, final postscript question. People get very emotional about the names and the attachment to a name once you've decided on it, once you've landed yeah. on it. How did you find the conversations? How did you find the decision-making process on going from Arctic Shelf to Cubby? Yeah, I, I think honestly, we it was quite easy. Like, um, you know, the people, the people that cared the most were like my family because <laughs> there's that emotional connection and yeah. the early investors because when you write that first angel check it's like you know what if this was the next and um and so that that but once you have the data and, and the reasoning it's all about reasoning like we move quick and we make decisions and and we're very conscious about the reasons why we're doing it so it doesn't look like we're hopping all over the place and you know we had our reasoning and you know arctic shelf was three syllables they were all downward inflecting you know people spelt it wrong they spelled mm. arctic without a, the first c it was like arctic <laughs> oh. and yeah so they'd google arctic a-r-t and they yeah. miss it and and that caused some problems but i just think that anytime you hear it like it's just not a, a clean word and and importantly cubby can do hot and cold food nice work nice work dawson thank you so much for joining us here on yeah. startupville Thanks for having me and, and best of luck for the rest of the day. This is fun. Startupville is brought to you by Innovation Place, helping grow the tech sector in Saskatchewan, Canada, and is produced in partnership with Martin Charlton Communications at WeTellYourStories.ca. Our show is produced by me, Ariel Delorier, and our host, Dan Gold. We're extending a huge thank you and shout out to our friends over at Collabs for allowing us to take part in the Uniting the Prairies conference, bringing this exclusive content directly to our Startupville listeners. Our theme music is from GG Riggs and Reactor Productions. Find out more about us and our guests at innovationplace.com slash startupville. And follow us on Facebook and Twitter at Startupville Pod. Remember to subscribe and review wherever you listen to podcasts. It really helps us rise up the ranks. See you next time on Startupville.